God, I thank you that, that you're, you're, you're not wavering. When you say you're going to do something, you do it. When you give us a character trait about yourself, that's who you are. And it's, uh, it, there's no exception. And I thank you, God, for, for just the steadfastness, for your faithfulness to us. Father, give us this morning the gift of faith. Father, give us this morning the gift of hunger. Give us this morning the gift of the Holy Spirit. Would you pour out without measure in the name of Jesus, Lord. Father, I pray against, I speak against distraction right now. I mean, the battlefield's in the mind. Lord, you said be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So the battlefield's in the mind. And I pray, Lord, that you would deafen our ears to, to any noise that's not you this morning. There's lots of noise in the world, and I pray, Father, that it would be silenced. Father, that we could tune in to you and what you're saying, that we would be sensitive to your spirit. Lord, even distractions that we, we are not aware of that are distractions, you make us aware of them right now in this moment so we can, we can purposefully and with intention shut them out and shut them off. In the name of Jesus. Amen. All right. Well, I hope you didn't come here this morning for a Nate encounter or a Rachel encounter or a Glenn encounter or, my name's Nate. If you don't know, like, who's Nate? No, what I really hope you came for this morning is an encounter with the Lord, the living God with Jesus. So that's that's really what I have been praying for for today, and, and really it's, it's not just for today, it's for every time we meet together, we meet together unto that end for that purpose. It's for him. And a lot of the times we wrestle with, well, I'm not getting a lot out of church. And I'm like, well, why are you coming? Are you coming to get a lot out of it, or are you coming to give a lot to him? And that's really, that's really usually the difference. So um, anyways, that was free. I was just an appetizer. That's not even in my notes, so... Anyways, uh, if, you didn't, if you don't have the notes and you need some, if you could raise your hand and I'll text them to you. No, raise your hand and, uh, and one of the ushers or hosts, that Ashton's got some right there, he'll get them to you. Um, one of the reasons I printed, I don't always print out notes, but sometimes I, uh, I printed them out because there's so many scriptures that we're going through today and I'm gonna kind of probably hit some of them pretty fast and I want you to be able to go back and look at them if, if you need to. And there are countless others um, I mean, you could probably count them, but I didn't count them, but uh, there's a lot more relating to what we're going to talk about, talking about this topic of hunger, just really using Pastor Glenn's message from last week as a springboard into where we're going today, and um, yeah, if you haven't listened to it, I'm not going to review it, so it's online, and there's CDs next to the bathrooms if you need one of those, so um, give it a listen, but what are you hungry for? All right, now don't be distracted thinking about lunch, about torchies and table 620 and all the places that y'all are gonna go. But, uh, but what are we hungry for? Because um, if you're here last week when Pastor Glenn talked about it, that was one of the themes is, is, is awakening hunger through, through testimony. And, it was, and it, was, it was great, real practical tools and testimonies even from, from his own life of how to awaken and, and increase hunger. Hunger is a metaphor that is used in Scripture because it's timeless. You guys know that most of the metaphors used in Scripture are timeless, right? There's always going to be water. There's always going to be marriage. There's always going to be bodies. There's always going to be trees. There's all, all these things are metaphors that the Lord uses. Well, there's, there's always going to be hunger, which is good, right? Um, so I even believe in heaven, we're going to eat. I know, in heaven, we're going to eat, okay? So... Maybe, maybe not so much like hunger pains or anything like that. There's no fasting in heaven as far as I know. And if there is, it'll be easy. Um, but, uh, 
but there's hunger and there's thirst. We need food and water to survive, all right? So it's, it's a timeless metaphor. Um, I'm gonna tell you, if we ask the question, what are you hungry for? I'm just gonna tell you a story of, of what hunger and what spiritual hunger might look like. It's Matthew 4. You don't have to turn there if you don't want to. If you, turn, if you want to turn your Bibles and follow along, that's fine, but it'll be up on the screen if you can, you can follow along. It's Matthew 14, 13 through 21. It says, when Jesus heard what had happened, meaning the, uh, his friend or his cousin, John the Baptist, had been beheaded, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. Stop right there just for a second. Just, I just, before we go any further, Jesus privately <laughs> was mourning the loss of his cousin, so he withdrew out of town to a solitary place by boat. Word got out, and just be, the word was Jesus' location. That was it. That was the word. Word got out that Jesus was somewhere where everybody wanted to know where he was, and oh, here he is. We know he's here. So because word got out, the crowd followed him on foot from the towns. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. Understand that that's not why he withdrew. He did not withdraw to go heal sick. Okay. As evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place. It's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. And Jesus replied, they don't need to go away. You give them something to eat. That's one of my favorite sermons right there. We'll do that another day. We have here only five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. Bring them here to me, he said. He directed the people to sit down on the grass, taking the five loaves and two fish, and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. He gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the people. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those who ate was about 5,000 men besides women and children. So Jesus fed somewhere in the range of 15 to 20,000 mouths that day with five loaves and two fish. That is not hyperbole. This is not theory. This is not fairy tale. This happened. Somebody agree. Say amen. This happened. All right. Hunger, one of those, you say, what does hunger look like? Hunger looks like following Jesus on foot into the countryside and staying there with no food just to see what happens. Why were they there? They had heard about Jesus. They were hungry. They had heard maybe that he had healed their sick, that he had, uh, that he had turned water into wine. They had heard of his goodness. And so they, they were like, We'll, we'll walk out of town, and we'll go find him. He was, and, and really, there was no, there was no like, oh, maybe he's busy, or he probably doesn't have time for me. And it was, it was, at all costs, spare no expense, get to Jesus. And they got there, and two things happened. Their hunger actually drew power out of Jesus that he had not planned to release at that time. He was going to mourn the loss of his martyred cousin who he grew up with, who was, how many months older was John the Baptist than Jesus? Six. Oh, nice, six. You guys pay attention to the Christmas quiz. That's good. <laughs> so they grew up together, right? John the Baptist baptized Jesus when the Holy Spirit came and rested on him. They have a special relationship, and he just got killed. Now he's going to mourn. 
and he gets there to mourn. He's not mourning yet. He got in the boat to go to a solitary place. When he lands, there's a crowd of people there, and out of compassion, he heals the sick there because he knows they're hungry. Then he teaches them. Then they're still there, and they won't go home. So he takes five loaves and two fish and feeds 20,000 mouths. We're too westernized. This is just should be, I mean, maybe that's, we're too familiarized with the story, but this is a big deal. We're realizing that, that this all happened, this feeding of the 5,000, as your Bible calls it, which I think was more like 20,000, this working of miracles where he healed the sick happened because the people were hungry and they weren't getting satisfied on what they were getting fed before Jesus. Jesus didn't advertise a conference or a meeting. Actually, he never advertised a conference or a meeting. Not that those are bad, but he didn't. They went, people went because they heard through the grapevine that, that some had tasted and seen that God was good. Tasted and seen that Jesus was good. These people were spiritually hunger, hungry. Spiritual hunger sets, up, sets us up to experience signs, wonders, miracles, and more, and more goodness of God. God doesn't get more good, but our perception and revelation of his goodness always is increasing or always should be increasing. I promise you always will increase if you hunger and thirst for righteousness, as we'll read here from the word in a moment. He doesn't get more good. You understand that. God doesn't increase in his goodness. We increase in our understanding and perception of it and experience of it. Every time a crowd gathered, it's because they were spiritually hungry in Judaism and dead religion and the pleasures of this life were not keeping them satisfied. And so... They went for the thing that they had heard was satisfying, truly satisfying people. Matthew 5, 6, it says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for, these, for they shall be satisfied. There's a whole slew of messages from this Sermon on the Mount and the Beatitudes about hunger and thirst and even about the, how these are laid out. The, the first four verses in this, in this uh, chapter five, or in the, the first, I'm sorry, the first four Beatitudes really kind of set up the next, the next four and, the, and it, it's really great, and we're not going to talk about that today. But the point is, uh, this one little verse here is actually tied to several other places in the New and Old Testament where, where Jesus or, or one of his followers seems to allude to the same thing. So it's, a, it's one of those that I, it's legal for me to grab it out of its context because it actually shares in the context of Genesis to Revelation. It fits everywhere. It's a, it's a principle that's, that's timeless and true. Uh, blessed are those, or happier those, that's what Glenn, Pastor Glenn said last week, he said happier those, that's what the word means, who, who, are, who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. This is one of those things where the opposite's true. Unhappy are those who do not hunger and thirst for righteousness. They will not be satisfied. The opposite is true. Here's what, this is what I want you to hear today. This is a very key point. Every single person in this room who has a heartbeat, who has a pulse, you will hunger and thirst for something, both in the natural, you're all gonna get hungry and have to eat, right? You're all gonna get thirsty and have to drink, but also in the spiritual. You will all hunger or are all hungering for something. Now, what you decide to fill yourself with is up to you. If it's righteousness, your promised satisfaction. The cool thing about kingdom satisfaction is it leads to, to good hunger, which leads to even more satisfaction, which leads to more hunger, which leads to more satisfaction, because there's always more levels with the Lord, okay? You don't get to a point of arrival before, before Jesus comes back, before we're all glorified again. You don't get to a point where you're like, all right, I've had all I need. 
now I'm good. That's actually one of the, the greatest doctrines of demons that the church believes. Why would, why would the devil, the devil's not pitchforky, like, you know, he's, he's real sly, like, yeah, go to church. Go to church, sing your songs, read your scriptures, but definitely stay lukewarm. Definitely don't go deeper in the things of God. Definitely don't hunger and thirst. Like, you already got fed. You're good. You have what you need. You prayed the prayer. You got baptized. Now coast until the end. That's exactly what, why would he want anything less? You guys understand, it's not, it's, not like, it's not like he's trying to get people to just jump into some flagrant sin, although he does. But one of the ways that he works is to just keep people not hungry, keep people satisfied on something lesser than what the Lord has for us. Is this making sense? Y'all following? Yeah. Okay. Um, we're all hungering and thirsting for something. If we feed ourselves with the temporary pleasures of this world, which 1 John chapter 2 talks about, if we, if we feed ourselves with those things, if we, if we are hungering for um, self-reliance, for man's riches, social status, material gain, the next best car, toy, phone, watch, house, job, invite, right? Uh, to be able to do our thing above his thing. Now listen, there's nothing wrong with a new phone. There's nothing wrong with a new, you guys understand the point I'm making here. If our heart's hunger and desire is to just get the next thing or to just get invited to the next person's house or to just, oh, if only I, if only I, if only I, you're never gonna get satisfied. It's just an endless cycle, that's why, that's why people that are addicted to alcohol don't, don't get better the more they drink. They, they get worse because it's an endless cycle that ends in destruction. And the only way to get out of it is to break the cycle. The alcohol just numbs, the, it just numbs hunger, spiritual hunger. For, you're actually spiritual hunger for something. You don't, know where to, you don't know where to get it or you don't know how to get it or you're not willing to get it, whatever it is. And... And we just, we numb it. But then when you wake up in the morning, you got to numb it again because, if, because it comes back. Just like you got to eat breakfast every morning because you're hungry again, it, the, the spiritual hunger is going to come back too. And so you have to choose what to feed it. So the Pharisees, here's another principle about hunger. The Pharisees and the religious leaders in Jesus' day, uh, they, they weren't really hungry anymore. Their problem was that they, they were full. They had filled up on religion and, and, and law, and knowledge, and pride, and they had filled all up. And because they were so full, they weren't able to taste and see that God was good. But they weren't able to taste and see that Jesus was God, that Jesus was Messiah. They had a form of cessationism that meant that, that he couldn't be God because it didn't fit their picture of what Messiah would look like, mainly because he didn't come in splendor and glory. He came in a, in a feeding trough to a, a poor not necessarily poor, but to a teenage virgin and, and raised by a carpenter, he didn't come and set up and establish you know, the way that they thought that he was gonna come. And so because they were full, they weren't able to taste of his goodness and they weren't able to see that he was good. You guys know, the, you guys know this, if you shop at Costco, you don't eat lunch before you go shop at Costco <laughs> or else you're not gonna be hungry for all the free samples. <laughs> you're not gonna taste and see you're not gonna taste and see that the, that the seaweed chips are good. No, those are disgusting. <laughs> but you're not gonna taste and see that the, that the caramel popcorn's good, and then you're not gonna buy any, right? My buddy and I, I am not kidding you, confession, ate at Costco 
multiple times when we were in, in or college age or whatever, right out of high school, we would just go to Costco and circle the samples. And it, we didn't try to, you don't have to be sneaky about it. Their policy is to give out as many as you want. Did you know that? I just totally, I'm a, you're on bankrupt. Costco's gonna go out of business because River in the Hill is gonna take all the samples. No, I'm serious. Their policy is no questions asked. You just give them as many samples as they want. So we would just sit by the meatball station and, and eat lunch. People are like, oh yeah, the food court's cheap at Costco. I'm like, yeah, we didn't go to the food court. <laughs> Anyways, but the point is, the point is, if you're already full or your spiritual perception of yourself is that you're already full, you will have no reason to hunger and thirst for righteousness. You will have no reason to taste and see that the Lord is good. You will have no reason to work up an appetite for for good things. You won't have a reason to because you already think you're good. Same reason that when you're full, you don't go eat again. This is where the principle of fasting comes in really, really handy. I'm not gonna talk about that today, but anyways, we'll we'll keep moving here. John chapter six, verse 35, Jesus turns, he says to them, he says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Jesus refers to himself as bread, so how do we, this is like, we're one of those, one of those like, oh, this is just some Christianese term I don't really understand. How are we supposed to eat? If Jesus is the bread, how do we eat it? Right, because it's just like, I'm not gonna eat you know, a person, I'm not, you know, it doesn't really make sense. Oh, it's just like a big religious concept. No, it's, it's, it's applicable, and I'll show you. In John 4, 34, Jesus says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. So Jesus received his spiritual nourishment by doing what the Father told him to do or wanted him to do. You guys know that, that Jesus did, and everything that he did while on earth was as a man filled with the Holy Spirit in right standing with the Father. Now, he never ceased to be God, but he set aside access to to parts of his deity, one of those parts being omniscience, right, all-knowing, because if he knew all things, you don't have to pray and ask questions, okay? If he he knew everything as he was walking as man, he doesn't have to go to the Father and ask, because he already knows, but he went to the Father and he asked all the time. We know it because his disciples directly linked his prayer life to his power, and, said, and, what, and that's the only thing recorded that we know of that the disciples asked Jesus to teach him. Jesus, the Lord teaches to pray. And they saw the, the connectivity that he had with the Father. And so, and so if Jesus' nourishment, spiritual nourishment came, which is what he says here in John 4, 34, his nourishment came from doing the will of the Father, then it stands to reason that if Jesus said that we will do the same things as him, it said that, that he sent the Holy Spirit to, to be in us as a continuation of his work. So here's how I'm gonna remain with you, John 15, 16, 17. I'm gonna send the Holy Spirit, the helper, then I'm gonna go be with my Father. And at the time, the disciples were like, we don't get it. And then they got it, okay? They were filled with the same Holy Spirit. If you're filled with the same Spirit, that raised Jesus from the dead, just follow me, listen. And it stands to reason that your spiritual nourishment can come in the same way that Jesus got spiritually nourished, doing the will of the Father. But really, that's step two, okay? Doing the will of the Father is step two. Jesus didn't just show up and start doing step two. He first had to do step one. Nate, what's step one? You have to ask your question, how did he know what the will of the Father was? Through prayer, through fasting, and through his word. He learned the scriptures, the Old Testament, at the time. 
He prayed through them and over them fervently, and he withdrew privately to pray, as far as we know, often. I mean, I, I have to assume it was at least an hour a day. <laughs> Maybe two. I mean, where, where, I mean, he's probably praying often, you know, praying in the spirit, praying, praying, but where he withdrew into quietly by himself. It's got to be at least an hour or two. I have, a, I have a, a, a hunch that it was in the morning often. And that's where he got the revelation for what the Father wanted him to do. And he could, the only way that he could do the will of his Father was by first hungering and thirsting after the Father. Does that make sense? He sought the Father earnestly. He fasted. Not to earn the Father's communication, but to really, really learn or be able to be able to correctly apply the metaphor of spiritual hunger to, to physical hunger. Psalm 63:1 says, "O God, you are my God, earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you, my flesh faints for you, as in a dry and weary land where there is no water." Psalmist here seems to convey that eating of the bread of life may not always be easy. <laughs> How many of you have ever passed out from dehydration or something like that? Like, oh, really, not many of you. Oh, my gosh, I have several times. No. Pastor Glenn has at least once. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> mm. That's true. You didn't pass out. That's true. He was just living out Psalm 63.1. Honestly, he was. That's why, that's why he was fasting. He loves the Lord. Uh, if Jesus himself had to withdraw daily uh, to hear from the Father, how much more should we have to do the same thing? We, if, we're, if we're truly going to hunger and thirst after righteousness, we have to know the Father. If we're truly going to know the Father, we have to get alone with him. There's, there's not another way to do it. You can try to, we're, we're a culture of shortcuts. There is no shortcut to this. And, and you, will, you will be permanently unsat not permanently, you will be constantly unsatisfied and disappointed if you try to take a shortcut to intimacy with the Father. It takes time. There's not an app for it. There's just not. Matthew 4, 4 says, uh, he answered them, he says, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Do you guys remember the context of when Jesus said this and who he said it to? He said it to the devil after not eating for 40 days. In the wilderness, he's hungry, he's hurting, he's weak, he's tired. This is Jesus. Just got filled with the Spirit. Spirit led him to the wilderness to be, tested, or to be tempted. He goes 40 days and the devil shows up and goes, remember, remember what happened? Jesus, or the Lord just opened the heaven. So Jesus, let me back up. Devil doesn't know who the Messiah is, right? We see it throughout scripture. He keeps trying to kill Firstborn babies, he does, but he doesn't know when he's coming. He doesn't even know, he doesn't, he thinks maybe Herod killed him, right? When he killed up, maybe Herod killed him. It wasn't until the heavens opened and God went, this is my son whom I'm well pleased. And the devil went, oh. So that's the first time that the devil was ever able to interact with Jesus as Messiah, knowing who he truly was. So he goes, so gets baptized this is my beloved son. What's the first thing the devil says to him? 
if you are the son of God, right? Questions his identity, messes with him and all these things. And because Jesus is learning who he is, because he's been fasting and is not only physically hungry, but now knows what it is to spiritually be hungry uh, in a way that, that is new to him with this 40-day fast, he's able to respond with the scripture that he's poured into. This is a, it's, it's from Deuteronomy. This is a quote from, it's Matthew 4, 4, but it's a quote from Deuteronomy, I believe. I didn't write it down. I think it's Deuteronomy. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So when the devil said, just turn this, turn this stone into some bread and you can eat it. And he re- responded with scripture. We need to know his word. It's the only way that we can live by every word that comes from the mouth of God is know what the words are that come from the mouth of God. That's the only way we can do it. I'm not, I'm not trying to be, I'm just, this is easy. It's hard, but the, but the instructions are easy, right? You ever buy anything from Ikea? It's just like pictures in the directions and no words. You're like, oh, these are simple. A child could do it. And then you go to put it together and you're like, nope. No, a child can't do this because I can't do it. All right. We got a, so the question, how can we live by every word that comes from the mouth of God? Know his word, the Bible. You have to read it. Can't know it if you don't read it. You gotta read it. Be in it. It's good. Bill, Bill Johnson says that people come to him and say, well, oh, pastor, I, I try to read it, but I can never even remember what I read. I don't understand what I read. I don't. And he said, you know, I don't remember what I had for breakfast last week, but I remember that it nourished me. And I went, oh, when I heard that years ago, oh. Sometimes, sometimes reading the Bible, the devil wants us to look at it as this huge mountain that we can't climb, and oh, you'll never get through it. You'll never understand it. It's so deep. I don't even, I don't even get what they're talking about here. What are all these things and numbers for? All, you know, all these things. And when really, these are the words of God. You really can't go wrong reading it. But that's just, just, that's just one thing. How can we live? We, we know his words. But we, need to, we need to know and hear his voice. And how do we do that? Through prayer. Prayer is communication both ways. It's not talking to God. talking with God. You understand the difference? Talking, or as I, as I used to do when I was younger, talking at God, right? It's, it's just so much more than that. We, we speak, we ask, we hear, we inquire, we get an answer, right? We give praise. He shines the love on it. We love him back. He loves us. We love, 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 love. It's just this great intimacy, this relationship that grows, right? That's, just, that's another thing, through prayer. But we also need to surround ourselves with brothers and sisters who will hold us up when our souls are thirsty for more of him, when our flesh faints for him, as the psalmist wrote. And that's our church family. This happens, it happens here on Sunday mornings, but primarily it happens not on Sunday mornings, okay? It happens in home groups, that's the second, second most important place where this happens. It'll happen in the prayer room during the week. It happens when you're inviting people you don't know into your home for a meal. That's hospitality. That's a call on the body of Christ to be hospitable. It, that's where it happens. It happens when we, are, when we are fighting for each other, encouraging each other, and holding each other up when our flesh is faint. Or when we are hungering and thirsting for more of God and we're not hearing anything. I promise you, I know that that sucks. But it doesn't mean that God's left you, even though it feels like that. It doesn't mean that he doesn't hear you, even though it seems like that. 
It doesn't mean that it doesn't mean any of the things that the devil tells us that it means. Okay? But it's hard. And if we don't have people around us who will hold us up and help us walk through that and help keep us hungry and spur us on to love and good deeds and keep us hungering and thirsting for righteousness, then what are we gonna do? We will fill ourselves up with something else. You will. You will scroll social media for hours a day and lie about it. You will. I've had it happen to me. I mean, I don't have social media. I mean, I have people lie to me. Like, I know, I know that you didn't have to go to the bathroom for 50 minutes. <laughs> right? Like, I know, you know, I know you're scrolling social media. Why? Because it helps numb your mind. How did you watch seven seasons of that show in four days? <laughs> because you didn't, you didn't press in to the Lord and you chose to fill yourself up with Netflix. <clears throat> Do you understand these are real things? Yeah. Why, am I, why am I looking at pornography? Why am I drinking? Why am I going back to drugs? Why am I doing all this? Because they're easy, because they're easy outs. Because it's so much harder to stay hungry. It's so much more difficult to stay fed, to, to, to hunger and thirst for righteousness, to feed on the bread of life. It's when everything around you in the culture is saying, here, have a Twinkie. And you're like, no, I need to have a carrot. Because the carrot is actually going to be good for my body, and the Twinkie's going to help kill me. As Americans, listen, we're getting close. I'm on a roll now. You're not going to stop me now. I left my soapbox at home. I haven't even gotten started. As Americans, we're overfed, mostly on bad stuff. American, I heard Mike Bickle say this week, I've been listening to the prophetic history of IHOP. It's probably one of the reasons why I'm a little fiery in my spirit. I heard him say, the American church is not in danger of fasting too much. Whenever someone teaches on fasting, undoubtedly, someone always comes up and goes, you know, you really gotta be careful calling people to fast because it's possible for them to hurt themselves fasting. You're like, I don't think that's gonna be a problem. <laughs> I don't think that's gonna be a problem. I think, I think we're probably good. You know, I had a lot of people argue with me like, well, I can't fast because I'm like, I know. I know there's 100 reasons why you can't fast. Well, I only know that there's one that you, that you need to at least try it. So I, I get it, but it's kind of funny. As Americans, we're overfed, mostly on bad stuff. Listen, hear me on this, and just, just picture, your, picture your week. We're used to eating whatever we want, right when we want it. We're used to whatever's easiest, quickest, cheapest, and usually whatever tastes the best, regardless of nutritional value. We don't like being hungry, so we fill up so we can stay full, Right? How many, of you, how many of you have said, well, it might be a while before we can, we might have to eat a late lunch, so make sure you eat a big breakfast. <laughs> like, when you finish, like when you finish fasting, like if you fast for three days, on day four, do you eat nine meals? <laughs> that's that same mentality of like, you gotta put in all this, you know, and that's just really not how we were designed to be. It actually is why we have so many health problems as a nation one of the reasons. Again, that's another sermon. Fasting is very helpful in this. It teaches us how to operate out of true hunger, and it actually drives us into a greater and sweeter, more sensitive spiritual hunger, where we can hear 
clearer. I always say food clogs up your ears. It really does. Physical food can help, can, can, can clog up your spiritual ears. Okay, it's not a recipe. It's just, you know, I mean, don't, don't take that and make a theology out of it. I'm just saying fasting helps because it creates a sweet spot. You're more tender. You're in pain. And so you, 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 you press into the Lord more. When I was growing up, I used to think that fasting, so I did, I, my, I was like in middle school. I, we used to do this 30-hour, we call it 30-hour famine. We'd raise money, not eat for three meals or whatever. It was fun. But I used to think that fasting was like this spiritual experience where you're like, all right, Lord, I'm gonna fast. And then he just takes away your desire for food and your hunger pains, right? And you're just like, I'm just gonna walk 40 days in all of my energy. I'm not gonna lose any weight. I'm not even, I could probably do no water, right? Like I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna, and that's just not what it is. <laughs> any of you that have ever fasted, after about 16 hours, you're like, did the Lord not get the notice that we were fasting today? <laughs> like, this is supposed to not hurt. No, it sucks, and it's supposed to suck. Yeah. Sorry, I probably shouldn't say that. It stinks. It's supposed to stink. <laughs> but if you have fasted, you're like, no, it sucks. <laughs> you had it right the first time. But I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what. It's, it's a, you, you can't, you can't, there's some places you just can't get without fasting. There's something, write this down. There's, this is from the Lord. There's some things you won't taste without there's aspects of him that you won't taste without fasting that's from him that's not that's not a nate word all right worship team can you come up but i want you to stay engaged so i want to i saw um i want to do something as we end here psalm 34 8 it says oh taste and see that the lord is good blessed is the man who takes refuge in him your appetite will determine how much of his goodness that you taste Sometimes you meet people. When I first met Paul Norris, I knew that he had tasted more than I had tasted. And that's good because it actually provoked me to taste more. First time I met Kyle, I knew that he tasted things that I had not tasted. And it made me want to taste them. It made me want to press in. The same thing with the whole revelation of night and day prayer and the revelation of, 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 first, of first love, Right? Of love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. It was I, like I knew the verse, and I knew we were supposed to do that, and I thought the only application of that was by doing part two, by loving your neighbor as yourself. But the revel, but I, but when I met Glenn, I went, oh, he tasted something that I haven't tasted. I, I need to taste it. I want to get to it. Your appetite will determine how much of His goodness that you taste. What's the key ingredient to working up an appetite in the natural? Do you guys know what it is? The, like the key thing that takes. It takes to build up an appetite. You know what it is? Time. I thought it was work too. But the, the, the truth is that even if you're not working, you'll still get hungry again. So it's just time. That's what it takes to work up an appetite. If we put in the time, we sacrifice the things that we don't really need to do anyways, which is, by definition, not really a sacrifice. But... They've become important to us, so it plays out like a sacrifice. We sacrifice the things that we don't really need to be doing anyway, so we'll work up an appetite. If we work up an appetite, we'll want to taste. And when we taste, we'll see that the Lord is good. After we've tasted, we want to feast, and only on Him. And when you fill up on Him, He makes more room in you to get hungry for more of Him. You don't have to empty yourself of Him to eat more of Him. 
he makes more room so that you can fit more of him. Your stomach, your spiritual stomach becomes bigger when you realize that he's the only one that can bring you true satisfaction. You see, we do the will of the Father and that, that's, that's how we get spiritual nourishment. And that's the, what are you hungering for? Hungry and thirst for righteousness, yes. But the point that we made about how Jesus got his nourishment was that he did the will of the Father. But remember, that was step two. Step one was intimacy with the Father. Hungering and thirsting after him first. It's like we don't hunger and thirst primarily for the Bible. You hunger and thirst for the author. And it makes his word come alive. It's interpreted by the Holy Spirit. That's what this says, understood by the Holy Spirit. It says it's foolishness to those that don't have the Holy Spirit. My prayer for us, my prayer for myself has been, especially in the last few months, my prayer for us is today that we would hunger and thirst after things that are actually gonna truly satisfy us. And we would stop filling ourselves up on stupid things. Stop spending so much time filling yourself up with things that you don't know. I'm speaking to myself too. I'm not coming down on anybody. I have no idea how much y'all, I have no idea. I just know that it's so important. It's throughout scripture. Taste and see the Lord is good. He's the bread of life. Hunger and thirst for righteousness and you'll be satisfied. I'm gonna read 1 Peter. If you guys could stand. I'm gonna read this, it's 1 Peter chapter two. I'm gonna read it over you. It's a prophetic declaration and just to plant a seed of the word. And we're gonna let, we're gonna let the Lord bring increase. So you can just listen, you don't have to follow along. So therefore rid yourselves of all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander of every kind. Like newborn babies crave spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him, the living stone rejected by men but chosen by God and precious to him, you also like living stones are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in scripture it says, see I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious, but to you who do not believe, the stone the builder rejected has become the capstone, and a stone that causes men to stumble, and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you, river in the hills, are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light, once you were not a people, but now you are a people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world, abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans or non-believers that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day that he visits us. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every authority instituted among men whether to the king as a supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. 
For it is God's will that by doing good you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish men. Live as free men, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as servants of God. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the brotherhood of believers. Fear God. Honor the king. Slaves, employees, submit to your employers with all respect, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. For it's commendable if a man bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because he is conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing what's wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. Live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. For you are like sheep going astray, but you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Oh Lord, We hunger and thirst for righteousness. We hunger and thirst for you. Lord, would you empty our spiritual bellies of things that we've filled up, filled ourselves with that we don't need. Pardon the visual, but scripture uses the same one, Lord, but we want to vomit them out. Just as you wanted to vomit the, the lukewarm church in Laodicea, that's your word. Vomit them out of your mouth. Lord, that we don't, the picture is empty us of things that are empty and fill us with things that will bring everlasting satisfaction, things that will not pass away. Father, I pray, Lord, that as we step into greater levels of satisfaction with you, through intimacy, we know you through prayer, we hear you. We know your word through reading the Bible. Father, we're covered with good wisdom because we, we plug ourselves into church, to a home group, we get involved. We, we, we give, we tithe, we give offerings because we sow into the work you're doing. There's a family, it's a family effort. Lord, when we do all that, when we do all that, we will be positioned to do your will in a greater way. We will be positioned to be the hands and feet of Jesus, to lay our hands on the sick and see them get well, to preach the gospel and see salvation, to cast demons out, to raise the dead. Father God, to love the unlovely, cleansing the leper. Father God, help us to position ourselves to hunger and thirst after the right things and to test the things that are not good for us. To make radical changes starting today. Cancel the Instagram account, whatever it is, Lord. Not put it on hold and then in 30 days go back and spend four days looking at everything we missed. But to actually get, to get rid of the distraction, whatever it is, Maybe it's a book. Maybe the distraction is just a, a, a book or something. I mean, it doesn't have to. Lord, show us individually what it is that we have turned to to fill ourselves up with that will leave us hungering again, that will not satisfy. We trust you. We look to you right now, God, the author and, per, and perfecter of our faith. And we believe that you're going to pour out every tool we need to accomplish everything that you've set us to do. So I thank you, Lord, for the promise that you won't, you won't, Ask us to do something and not give us the ability to do it. 
So Lord, I just speak a blessing of courage over the body of Christ here this morning to make the courageous choice to hunger, to build up an appetite for you. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.